is super excited about the fast. Uh, I, I love fasting. Um, it's something that I've grown very accustomed to as a Christian. Uh, I went a long time as a Christian without fasting. And then at one point in my Christian walk, the Lord put fasting on my heart and I, we had fasted. We had done small fasts. And then the Lord put fasting on my heart and I wanted to enter into a 40-day fast. I wanted to do something more. And so the Lord kept telling me, no, no, no. And then in 2006, 2007, I'm sorry, the Lord allowed me to fast. And we wound up fasting half that year. Uh, we did Daniel's fast. We did media fast. We did all these different fasts. And every time we, we'd go from one 40-day fast to the next 40-day fast, it seemed that the Lord was calling me higher within that fast. And so uh, we kept fasting throughout that year. We wound up fasting half the year that year. And so it was incredible. And, and life has never been the same. And so now fasting is a regular part of my life. And when we say fasting, you know, we, can't, we, we shouldn't think like we're doing something super extraordinary. Jesus covers fasting in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount. His very first public sermon, he covers fasting and he says, when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast. He, he says when you fast. Fasting is expected of a Christian. If you've lived this long as a Christian and you've never fasted, then you haven't even come to, you know, just the elementary things in Christianity. Fasting's not for super Christians. Fasting's for everybody. Fasting is about, fasting's not, not so much about what you're going to give up. Although we should give something up, it's about what you get out of it. Fasting is about giving up the pleasures of this world so that we can better receive the pleasures of God. Really, like if we were to boil it down, simple, simple, simple. Fasting is about giving up the pleasures of this world so that we can receive better the pleasures and the presence of God. And so that's the whole purpose behind a fast. Why am I so amped about fasting? Because I love the presence of God. <laughs> I love it. And if it's this good already, and then we're going to enter into a fast, how much better is it going to be? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So I just want to briefly cover um, fasting. I just briefly want to cover, uh, you know, there are all different types of ways you can fast. There's all different types of things that you can fast. You, the, I mentioned the Daniel's fast. Daniel's fast is a very varied fast. It's anywhere from no meats, no sweets all the way down to raw vegetables only, right? And so anywhere is in between, people classify all of that as Daniel's fast. When I first started fasting the Daniel's fast, it was no meat and no sweets. I would still eat McDonald's fries because they're not a meat and they're not a sweet. Although I, 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 don't, I, I don't want to say I won't, eat, I won't eat McDonald's fries on a Daniel's fast anymore, but... <laughs> And so the very first Daniel's fast I ever did, I, I drank coffee. And then later on, the Lord called me and said, okay, I want you to give up the coffee the next time. And so it can be gradual. It can be increasing. Um, I've only ever done three days of water fast, and that didn't end well for me. So I, I want to try water again sometime. I know of other people who have done water fast. I know of other people who, who can't do water fast. And so I don't know whether or not I'm one of those who can't do it. I, I don't have enough experience in that area. You don't even have to fast food. You could fast something that keeps you from the presence of God. Really, this is what we should be fasting. If food is in the way of you receiving more from God, then fast 
food. If the TV is in the way, if the news is in the way, if internet is in the way, if Facebook is in the way, if reading your novels is in the way, if watching your movies is in the way, if whatever it is, we all have something with which we try to fill the gap in our heart. We give that up and we say, I'm not going to partake in that. And we press into the presence of God and God fills us with his presence. We all have this God-shaped hole that only he can fill and we try and jam everything else in there and it just doesn't work. Love fasting. I hope you guys are excited. So as you fast this week, I, I left my card there with the nightly topics. Can you hand me that? As we fast this week, we have the nightly topics. If you're signed up to pray for one of those hours throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday through, through Saturday, uh, these are your prayer targets. And so on Monday, if you're praying on Monday, just begin to pray for a spirit of repentance, right? Tuesday, begin to pray that we would be a people who would seek God's face. And so you don't have to pray just for this while you're praying for your hour, but pray for this. While you're praying for your hour, maybe you'll read some Psalms. Reading the Psalms is part of prayer. And so you can read through the Psalms and then something sticks out at you and then you, you pray that. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God, cause me not to harden my heart. God, cause us not to be a people who have hard hearts and God, cause us to hear what you are saying in this hour. We read the Psalms, you pray the Psalms. There's nothing better that you can do than pray the word of God back to him. It's the best prayer you can pray because we know that this is his will for us. All right, good, I'm excited. I'm excited, you're excited, we're excited. I wanna wrap up uh, this vision series. Today I wanna talk about uh, engaged culture and today's topic, today's title is In the World. And so, in the world. And so, when we talk about engaged culture, we're talking about engaging with the world around us, interacting with the world around us. And so today we're going to read John chapter 17. We're going to see what he has to say there. But we have to know that when we come as Christians, as we are called to engage culture, we're not to be influenced by culture. We're to engage culture in such a way that we influence it. Let's look at a scripture. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I like the, new, the, the NIV here. The NIV here says, which is your reasonable act of worship. And so uh, all throughout scripture, we see uh, the word service and the word worship uh, exchanged. Uh, when when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. He says that they might come to the mountain of God, that they might, NIV says, worship me. New King James says, serve me. And so there's this correlation between worship and serving. And so we see this all throughout scripture. And so it's your reasonable act of worship to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's just reasonable. That's just the normal requirement. And here's, here's verse two. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't buy into the culture. We're called to be in the world. We're going to see this in a minute, but we're not called to be of the world. Just because God has put you in this world and left you here for this time 
doesn't mean that you're supposed to allow the culture of this world to get on you. We're supposed to be Christians, and we're supposed to be holy, and we are supposed to show the world how it's supposed to be done. That's why we're here. We'll see all this in a minute. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. When we engage culture, see, we use this terminology, engage God, engage church, engage culture. And so when we engage culture, we have to be sure that we're not allowing culture to affect us. That's not what we mean by engage culture. What we mean by engage culture is that we have to be interacting with people that are in the world, that people that are unchurched, if we, if we believe that we are going to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. How are we going to bring the kingdom of heaven to the world, to the unchurched, if we're not in the world? We have to be in the world. All right, I'm going to get ahead of myself. It's good? It's good. All right. We can't influence culture if we're not in contact with it. John 17, I'm going to read the entire chapter and then I'm going to go through and uh, I want to just highlight a few verses today. John 17, in, uh, in chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. They have the Last Supper and then he says, at the end of chapter 14, he says, arise, let us go from here. And then he reads 15, then we read 15, 16, and 17. And then in 18, it says, and then Jesus, uh, when he had spoken these words, went out and he left that place. And so he's saying, let's go. Speaks three more chapters. And then, and then they head out. And so we, I want to read chapter 17. And so this is the last thing. Jesus walked with his disciples for three and a half years. This is the very last thing that he says to them before going to the Garden of Gethsemane, before going to the cross. This is his last instruction. This is the last thing that he has to say. John 17, beginning in verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So many mysteries in so many of these scriptures, and we could stop and talk five to 10 minutes on every single one of these. I got to get through it. We got to read through it. There's a few things that I want to talk about here in John 17 that clearly point out how we are to engage culture. Continuing in verse six, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they, <clears throat> and they have received them and have known surely that I have come forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. 
I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you that these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe you sent me and the glory which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you, whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. What a great scripture. What a great chapter. Final instructions. Jesus knows that he's leaving. He's told his disciples time and time again. This is the last thing that he's going to say to them. From here, they leave. They go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Matthew or or Luke tells us that as they go out, they sang a psalm as they walked out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Different different, uh, gospels tell us the exact words that were spoken there. And then Jesus will come back and he will speak to them for 40 days concerning the kingdom. But this is the last thing that he says before he goes to the cross. This is the last thing that he has to say. He's saying, you are in the world. I've sent you. I've left you. I've called you. I'm sending you out. Go out into the world. Here's what I want you to do. I've been talking to you for three and a half years about the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. This is the way it's done. You've seen me heal people. You've seen me spread the gospel. You've seen me do all this. Now go into the world. I am leaving you here. Jesus, I don't want to be left here. (laughs) Heaven's so much better. I don't want to be left here. But I'm leaving you here. All right. 14, verse 14, it says this. It says, I have given them your word 
and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so here's the first thing, guys, is that, and we already kind of talked about this, is that we are not of the world. We cannot, we cannot, as Christians, we cannot buy into the culture of the day. Culture says, what does culture say? Many things, many confusing things at this point. Culture doesn't agree with itself at this point. Culture says you have to buy the big house. You have to have the new shiny car. You have to have the 401k. You have to have the job, the 2.3 kids, the dog, the picket fence. Culture says, I'm going to completely avoid any political extrapolation here because I don't want to go there today. Culture says all of this stuff. Guys, we can't buy into the culture. We can't buy it. It's there and we have the opportunity to, to accept it or not. Do you want to play the game? Because if you're going to play the game that the culture wants you to play, then you'll be culture's slave. You won't be performing God's will because God's will isn't for you to engage, to, isn't, God's will isn't for you to be in the world. They are not of the world. We're not supposed to be of the world. We're not supposed to look like the world. A lot of times when I walk into a room or a place or an establishment, I get to know the people there a little bit. They say, you know, you're not like other people that come in here. Or they'll, they'll notice and they'll say, you know what? There's a certain joy that you have. There's a certain peace that you walk with. They don't notice that because I've got a white picket fence and the dog and the 2.3 kids. Which is what the world says. They notice the peace. They notice the joy. They notice the presence of God. Because I'm not of the world. I'm of a different world. And when I'm of a different world and when I walk into a room, people notice there's something different about this person. And they notice you too. We're not to be of the world. We're not to buy. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I have a political revelation for you. We're not going to talk about politics, but I have a political revelation for you. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate questioned him. Pilate questioned him and said, are you a king? He said, yes. Who told you that? I am. And then he said this. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. but now my kingdom is not from here. And so we have to understand that no matter what we see coming across our TV screen, no matter what we see coming through our newsfeed, that God is still on the throne and that he is still king, over, king of kings and Lord of lords. And he rules over every nation of the world. Isaiah says the nations of the world are as dust. <laughs> it's pretty low. My kingdom is not from here. Jesus came. Everyone, all the disciples, all of the Romans, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were all looking for a Messiah that would come, that would change the political aspect of the day. They were looking for a Messiah to come to tear down Rome and to sit on the throne and to rule in the natural. And Jesus came and said, no, I'm bringing a different kind of kingdom. 
My kingdom is not a political kingdom, but it reigns over every kingdom on the earth. My kingdom has no throne in the natural, but it changes everything in the natural. And we need to live from this place of kingdom. We need to not be distracted. We need to, as Song of Solomon says, we need to have dove's eyes. The, bride, the, 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 the Shulamite woman prays and says, give me dove's eyes. A dove's eye is singular. It can only focus on one thing at a time. Have you ever looked through a kaleidoscope, right? And you, there's all of these things, right? All of these facets. That's the way a fly looks when, it, when its eye is because it, it's a many faceted eye. And so this is why you can't hit a, hit a fly because it sees motion because it looks, its eyes stick out from its head and it's faceted like a kaleidoscope. And so it's literally watching every direction at once. And it sees the slightest movement. You try to swing at the thing and it sees you coming a mile away. There's nowhere where you can hide from the fly. A dove's eyes aren't like that. A dove's eye can only see one thing at a time. And if I'm seeing one thing, then I see nothing else. And the Shulamite says, give me dove's eyes. We need to have this singular vision of focus on Jesus. Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes. We have to have have a singular, guys, If we're going to bring the kingdom in this hour, we have to have a singular focus. We have to have our eyes fixed on one thing. We only get power from God when we fix our eyes on him. When we're looking at the things of this world, we gain nothing from God. We we need to understand what's going on in the world. We need to engage culture, but we can't be affected by it. We can never live from this world. We're called to live from the kingdom of heaven to earth. We're called, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. We should know more about the kingdom realm, the heavenly kingdom realm, than we know about this realm. We were talking about this on the way here today. We have to have an understanding of what heaven is like if we expect to bring heaven to earth. If we don't understand what heaven is like, how can we partner with God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in the heaven? How can we do that if we don't understand? We have to understand what heaven is like. There's no sickness there. There's no disease there. There's no eyeglasses there. I'm just saying. There's peace there. There's joy there. It's all there. And it's your, it's your mission and my mission that Jesus gave us, left us with, bring it to earth. Deliver the kingdom of heaven to earth. Why am I still here? Why am I still here? Verses 15 through 17. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. God left us here. That's, that's rough. God appointed us here. He didn't leave us here. He didn't forget us. He positioned us here. He placed us here. He assigned us here. This is your mission. Should you decide to accept it? Go into the world. 
I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. God, I don't want you to take them out of the world. How many Christians are standing around and just waiting for Jesus to return? Jesus is coming back. Oh, it's terrible, but Jesus is coming back, right? We hear Jesus is returning and he will return on a cloud. He is, that's absolutely true. But do we have more faith in Jesus returning than we have in the power of the kingdom of heaven to influence earth? Are we standing around as Christians waiting for Jesus to return? Or are we engaging God in the process and bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth and seeing God change lives before our very eyes? Where are we at? We should be, I'll tell you right now, we should not be just waiting and sitting back and letting the whole world go evil. That's not what my Bible says. And letting evil take over because Jesus is coming. Oh, Jesus is coming. You're all going to be sorry. No. No. We're to... We've got to get the heart of God on this matter. Why are we here? I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prays and says... God, keep them from the enemy. Keep them from the evil one. Keep them from sin. Keep them from distraction. God gives us the power by his grace to live in the world and not be influenced by the world. God gives us power by his grace as as ready. God gives us power by his grace as long as we're willing to tap into it to live in culture and not be affected by culture, not buy into the culture. But we have to do it by his grace. And we only get his grace by being in his presence. And we only be in his presence by being singular, keeping our focus on him. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet, Peter says, not, not my feet only, Lord, but my whole body. And, Pete, and Jesus responds and says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so it's the word of God that sanctifies us, that cleanses us. And so we need to know the word. We need to be, the the word needs to be in our mind. Read your word, memorize your word, study your word, commit it to memory, quote it to yourself often. I was talking, we had dinner the other night with friends and I'm telling a story and I just quoted scripture right out of like in the middle of my story. It's just, because I just, It's just there all the time. It's always at the forefront of my mind. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, you have sent me into the world. As you have sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. This has been a question of mine for years. God, why am I still here? God, why am I still here? Right? I accepted Jesus. I'm going to heaven when I die. Why not now? Why did you leave me here? Why? Because God has a plan and a purpose. And it's never changed from the beginning. It's never changed from the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. God's original plan is still in place. Genesis chapter 1. God's original plan is still in place. Genesis chapter 128 says, God said to man, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over all of the earth. This was the plan of God, that 
man, weak little man, would exercise God's dominion, the king's dominion, the kingdom. God's plan is that man, weak little man, a little lower than the angel, Psalm 8 says, that man would execute God's dominion, king's dominion, the kingdom, on earth, and destroy the evil one. This is God's plan. God could, <laughs> the Bible tells us that he casts out demons with his fingers. Right, you got a little crumb on the table. That's how God casts out demons. And so, just like that, God could destroy, the, uh, destroy Satan. He could just, boom, take him out. But that's not his plan. That's not what he wants. I mean, he could do that. He will do that at some point, it tells us in Revelation. But what he really wants is he wants you and me to partner with him to accomplish his dominion in the earth. To bring the love of God. To bring what heaven looks like to this earth so that the world can see and know and give glory to him. See, because God's heart is 2 Peter 3.9, or is it 1 Peter 4.9, that none should perish and that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That none should perish. God's heart is for every single person on the earth. Seven billion people on the earth, seven billion people in heaven. God's will. God's desire. Now we know that according to Matthew 7.14 that that won't happen. Broad is the gate and wide is the path that leads into destruction or hell. And many are they that enter through it. Small is the path that leads to life and small is the gate that leads to heaven. And few are they that find it. But it's God's will. It's God's desire for everyone to be saved. And why are you here? Why am I here? That we might bring God's glory to the earth. That they might see his love, see who he is, and give him glory and follow him too. That's why I'm still here. That's the only reason I'm here. I'm not here to have kids and, and, and I'm here to bring the dominion of the king to the earth. The plan hasn't changed. The method has changed. He started with Adam and Eve. They sinned. He had to change the plan. God knew it was going to happen from the beginning. It wasn't a change of plan. He just knew it from the beginning. We didn't know. Was, uh, I'm trying to just walk you guys through the aspect there of whatever that is. Jesus comes and he says, listen, this is the way. Mandalorian, this is the way. Jesus came and said, this is the way. I am the way. Jesus is the way. We're not called to just hold up in our small groups until Jesus comes back. We're not called to just lock, lock the church doors and say, you know, us four and no more. We are simply not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to just wait for God. We're supposed to go out and save some as though snatching them from the fire. We're supposed to be out there. Get out there. Get out, get out there. It's sad when the church has more hope and faith in the return of Jesus than in the power of God available to us in order to bring his kingdom on the earth. Let us not be the church that is just standing back and waiting for the return of the Lord and putting our faith and our hope in that. It will happen. I have full faith in it. But I want to have more faith in God's power to move now 
and to show his glory and reveal his power to a lost and dying and his love to a lost and dying and a hurting world. That they might know the one true God. That's why I'm still here. That's why you're still here. John 17, 22 through 23. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. It's interesting. There's this line here in John 17, 22, and it talks about the fact that we are made perfect in one. There's a corresponding verse in Ephesians 3, and it says, until they all come to the unity of the faith, a perfect man. And so the import here is that we can't attain to perfection on our own. It'll never happen. No single, no single human being will ever attain to perfection. But what we can do is that if we come into a place of being one, if we come into a place of unity, Ephesians chapter 3, until they attain to the unity of the faith, a perfect man. There is a place of perfection when we're all together in one place and we're all unified. We've all come together for the same purpose and the same cause. Unity is not about being the same. Unity has nothing to do with looking the same, behaving the same. You have different gifts than I do. I have different gifts than you do. Unity is about accepting our differences and moving together for the same cause. What is the cause? The cause is Christ. The cause, it's the cause of Christ. That, that the world may know that you sent me and the love with which you loved him. That, that the glory which you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one. That, that the glory of God would be revealed in us to the world. God wants, God wants the whole world to be saved. God wants the whole world to know him. And you're the way he's going to do it. And it, we have to engage culture in order to make that happen. Oh, I look forward to the day where we move in perfect unity and redeeming love becomes the perfect man. What a great day. I don't believe that I'll ever be perfect. I've got too much of my flesh in me that I can't get rid of. I can only get rid of so much. And so I have to deal with my natural man. But as my spirit man is allowed to grow and your spirit man is allowed to grow, where I lack, you make up for me. And where I and you lack, you make up for me and her. And then when there's a hundred of us all doing what God's called us to, suddenly now the church is the perfection of Christ. We can only do it together, guys. We can only do it together. And it's when we get to this place of unity that the world will look at the church and say, wow, look at the church. 
What a shining moment. What a shining example of what Christ and God is supposed to be. The church is God's plan to bring his kingdom to the earth. The church is God's plan to make his kingdom a reality here and now. Not just here on a Sunday morning. This is only one aspect. This is only for us. This Sunday is only for us. I mean, we do preach the gospel here every Sunday. We do make an invitation for Christ every Sunday. But this Sunday service is more for us as the church to get on the same page, to get in the same place and say, hey, yeah, let's go. Let's do what redeeming love is called to do. Let's go and walk it out. Let's go and be the body of Christ on the earth in Troy. Let's go and do what God has called us to do. Let's go and preach the gospel. Let's go and save souls. Let's go and witness to someone. Let's go and just pray for someone. Let's just go share the love of God with someone. The church is God's plan for us to engage culture. God wants to engage culture through the church, through you, through me, through all of us together. And so when we say engage God, engage church, engage culture, know that we mean that it's for all of us. God's desire, our plan, our vision is that we would all have a deep relationship with God, that we would all engage God, that we would all know God to a level that is just extraordinary that we would all engage church, that all of us would engage with one another, that we would lock arms, that we would come together as a body of believers to follow after what God has planned and purposed for redeeming love. What does God have planned and purposed for redeeming love? To save the city of Troy. It's not a mystery. And how do we do that? We do that by engaging culture. We do that by stepping outside of these four walls. We do that by meeting people on the street, by praying for people, by sharing the love of God, by praying for the sick, by doing whatever it is that God's given you to do. God may have given you a healing ministry and you're to pray for the sick, or God may give you the compassion to go and serve in a soup kitchen downtown or to be part of a clothing thing, putting clothes on people or or just meeting your neighbor's needs, or there's no end to the different ways that we can creatively serve God and lead people to Christ. And so as, as the creativity continues, the love of God will continue to flow. I want to encourage you guys to be creative this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, can I have the worship team come up? We're going to end. We're going to receive the offering here in just a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we thank you for redeeming love. We thank you for this body of believers. We thank you that you have positioned us in this time and in this day and in this hour. God, that you are giving us the tools that we need, that you are giving us, uh, God, inspired desires. God, that you're working in creative ways that we've never seen before. And God, we pray that we would reach every soul in the kingdom, or in Troy for the kingdom. That we would reach every soul. God, we pray that Troy would get saved, the whole city. God, that it would be a burnt over district, that there'd be no one left. 
Come, Lord. God, move upon us by your strength, by your grace. We thank you, Lord, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.